The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Cordyceps Chronicles, a PoppyChulloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, January 23rd, 2023, and I'm your host, Priscilla Obregón. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-hosts, Vinny Hatcher. That was scary. This is Vinny. And Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome back, everybody. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 2, which is titled Infected, and debuted January 22, 2023, via HBO. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Joel, Tess, and Ellie traverse through an abandoned and flooded Boston hotel on their way to drop Ellie off with a group of fireflies. Short and sweet. So, like the first episode of The Last of Us, when, when you're lost in the darkness... This second episode begins with a flashback to before the world was destroyed by cordyceps. We begin in Jakarta, Indonesia on September 24th, 2003, two days before the world-ending outbreak day. We meet Ibu Ratna, the professor of mycology at the University of Indonesia, who is brought in by the police to investigate a specimen. She states that it's cordyceps, but she doesn't believe that the sample was taken from a human. She's then taken to a corpse from which the sample was taken, a bullet in the middle of the corpse's forehead. When Ratna investigates the corpse's ankle, she finds a human bite mark, and upon cutting the bite, she finds fungi inside. When she goes to explore the corpse's mouth, she finds tendrils moving and seeping out of her mouth before Ratna understandably runs away in fear. The police tell Ratna that this incident happened about 30 hours ago at a flour and grain factory on the west side of the city. A normal woman suddenly turned violent, attacked four co-workers, and bit three of them. They locked her in the bathroom, and when the police came, she tried to attack them, which led the police to shoot her. The people that were bit were taken in for observation, but after a few hours, they were also executed. However, the cops have no idea who bit the woman, and with 14 other workers in the factory missing, it seems like the beginnings of an outbreak are already underway. Ratna states there's no way to make a vaccine or medicine, and that the only thing to do is to start bombing. Bomb the city and everyone in it. Tearfully seeing that the end is near, Ratna asks to be driven home so she can be with her family before the world completely falls apart. So again, we're starting off with another science sort of opening. I want to know, what did y'all think about it, starting with Vinny? I honestly felt that this part detracted from the episode. Um, so kind of how I thought about the newscast in the beginning of the first episode, I think this section was much longer than it needed to be. Um, I didn't dislike it. I just don't necessarily think that it was necessary. But again, 
I have the bias of being somebody who at least attempted to play the game, even if I didn't get all the way through. Um, and for me, I just felt that tonally this section was disconnected from the existing story and I didn't really need it to understand. Uh, I know that it's important in some of these stories, you know, for the narrative to have like, hey, this is how and when the virus started. This is what caused it, et cetera, et cetera. But I felt that this segment connected us with the character that maybe she'll come back later. I doubt it, though. In my opinion, she probably won't show up again. So it was kind of a throwaway character used to give an origination to the virus. I would have much rather we just go back to Ellie, Joel, and Tess and their journey. Um, but for the masses, I'm sure the majority probably feel like this was important because it, you know, when you play the game, you're experiencing everything on the journey. When you're watching this visually, all you can do is sit there and make assumptions by things that aren't on the screen. You don't get to find the newspaper clippings. You don't get extra dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. So for the purpose of the story, I see why they did it. I just personally didn't necessarily think it was necessary, and I thought it dragged on too long. Hmm. Okay, so we have one opinion that's slightly negative. Um, Jeffrey, what did you think? Well, I'm on the other side of the coin because I thoroughly – enjoyed it i thought it was fascinating i was like give me all the information that i need because i needed more information about exactly how this happened and it does relate to the previous episode because there was a news um there was like a news thing in the background that talked about jakarta so i was really excited when it said we were in jakarta because i was like okay so we're gonna get you know, some interesting stuff about what that news report was about from the pilot. And I found Dr. Ratna to be incredibly fascinating. Once again, almost like Sarah in, in, in a way that, you know, we had limited amount of screen time with this character, but yet I was all in with her. Like, you know, it, there was minimal dialogue. It was mostly told through, um, you know, emoting and uh, body language and all that kind of stuff. But I was I was in that story with her, and I found it incredibly fascinating and captivating. I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to get this, like, stuff like this at the start of every episode. But, um, you know, if it's the first couple of episodes to give us a little bit more information about exactly what happened and what went down in 2003... I'm here for it. I'm going to land on your side of the coin, Jeffrey, because I actually really liked uh, Christina Hakim, who played uh, Ratna. I liked her acting. I liked the fact that, like, exactly what you said, completely with, like, little gestures, like, little kind of, like, hints and dialogue, she managed to portray, like, the big scope of what was going on, just how, like, fucked the world is. And, like, you get that whole, like, bitch don't do it when she, like, pulled the the mouth down by the teeth. I was like, oh, it's going to, like, wake up and snap your fingers off and you're going to turn into a zombie and fuck the world over. Like, like, just little things like that freaked me the hell out. And, again, flashback to what we talked about the last episode with the whole bread and grains theory spreading it from the beginning. Like... It was in a bread factory that this whole thing started. So, like, you you wonder to yourself whether this is, like, them putting breadcrumbs for the audience, so to speak, towards Ooh. that theme. 
<laughs> and also, I'd like to say that um, I I do I feel like it doesn't give a nod to the people that played the video game because this didn't come out in the video game, like Vinny said. But it plays a nod to people that like um, zombie stuff and pe- people that played like Outbreak or. I forget, like, I think it was, like, one of the early, like, zombie simulators, but stuff like that where, like, if you don't handle, like, Malaysia or, like, Indonesia and stuff like that in, like, island territories, like, you'll never be able to beat the game, and that's pretty much what's happening here, like, it's an island nation, Indonesia, and it still gets messed up, like, so I feel like it's a it's an interesting way to open it. it. It it gives it gives nods to game background for people that like video games in general, but it also like brings in something new. So people that play this video game in in particular have something that's not just a routine rehash of what they already played through. So that so, so they have the whole well, this was better in the game, like, sort of thing. No, it's it's new. It's interesting. And I don't know. I feel like it was really well done. And I will say also, like, I don't know how strict, like, military police or, like, the police are. But when she's in the restaurant and they point her out and they take her in the car and right away she's like, what did I do? I was like, oh, my God, this bitch is screwed. I completely didn't make the connection that it was Jakarta. That it was before outbreak day. So I was just like in it for the ride. I was worried about her. And like things like that right away like attach you to the character. They make you care about the character. And her acting at the very end with her like expressions just showing like what when the soldier asks her. So what do we do? And she's just like bomb. I was like Damn. You can tell that, like, this beyond horrifies her. It's just kind of like it's it's made her dejected. It's made her like realize there is nothing she can do. There's no foot cream for this. There's no vaccine. Like, you can't give fungicide and just hope and pray that it'll all go away. Like, I, and mark my words, we're gonna have a scene like if not this season, the next season, where we have some stupid, like, world leaders being, like, mix in, like, fungicide with some silver powder or something like that and snort it up your nose and you'll be healed, like, some Trumpism. Like, I'm I'm betting something like that is going to happen. Because, oh, it's just, it, I like how it ties into real-world things. And I like, as a side note, that in the background, when she's uh, going through the body... And she's in the hospital. You see little, like, victory over SARS, like, posters showing that, like, we just got through, like, a big outbreak. And Indonesia, like, managed it successfully. And they still can't get their shit together for cordyceps. So cordyceps is, like, something to worry about, which I liked. But uh, continuing on. After the credits, we find Ellie sleeping in an abandoned building. 
being watched over by Joel and Tess, who are both understandably unnerved by this girl who is seemingly immune to the outbreak. She shows that the bite isn't getting worse and states that she isn't infected. The head of the Boston Fireflies, Marlene, found Ellie after she was bitten, locked her up, and the men did tests on her to see if she was getting sick. When Ellie goes off to pee, Joel and Tess discuss their new traveling partner. Tess believes it must be real since she didn't turn in the night, but Joel believes it'll happen eventually. While Joel wants to return her to the Boston quarantine zone, Tess sees Ellie as their best way to get supplies that Marlene was prom- promised them. When asked why Marlene was protecting her, Ellie says it's because there's a Firefly base camp with the doctors who are working on a cure and that she could be the key to finding a vaccine. But Joel's heard all of this before, a false sign of promise in a world that has given him no hope. Yet Tess wants to finish the job regardless of whether it's true or not. Joel and Tess get what they want if they deliver Ellie, and that's good enough for her. I'm going to pause here because, like, we had a lot of, like, relationship dynamics that I kind of want to peel through with both of you guys. So Vinny went first before, so now I'm going to ask Jeffrey, what did you think of this little interlude? You know, it was interesting. I I like that we got to see sort of like the belief system from both Joel and Tess starting to peel back in in this scene. Joel being sort of like the hardened man that he is, you know, 20 years after the death of his child and outbreak day and all of uh, the struggles and whatever that he's had to go through, seeing him not believe was fascinating just because I feel like Ellie is so remarkable based off of the limited information that we know about the infection, virus, cordyceps situation. So the fact that she's alive and she's still human and not being controlled by a little fungus uh, among us. It, it's, it's, I mean, I believe that she is going to be the key to everything. So, and, and I don't even know the girl. Like, you know, I'm just meeting her. So, Joel being who he is and this rich history that will be unpacked I'm assuming at some point this season, because I feel like it's more than just his daughter passing. Like he has seen some stuff. So he doesn't believe. Uh, I thought it was perfect for his character and made the most sense. Tess being in it for, you know, what she can get out of it. That sort of makes sense as well based off of the test that we met in the previous episode. We also get a little bit more because of other stuff, so we'll talk about that as that comes. But Ellie being Ellie, um, as a character, I thought she was really interesting. Uh, just how she was bouncing off of the adults and that sort of thing. Um, I also thought that, you know... What like the questions that she was asking was interesting, as well as, you know, her response to them because they they really were like, "Why are you so special?" And she was like, "Shit, you know, I'm not supposed to tell anybody." And like the first fuckers that I meet, I'm like telling them this. I, I thought that was a really interesting moment for her. So you liked it, Vinny? What did you think? Oh, I 
I didn't dislike it, definitely. I mean, I, I love the fact that we're starting to see more of the dynamic between these three characters, specifically between Ellie and Joel. Um, I mean, these two individuals are clearly not good people. They, they've even said as much previously. So, you know, if you're a person who has done what you have to do to get by, scraping the bottom of the barrel, taking odd jobs, being a mercenary, whatever they've done in the past, you know, you're clearly not going to be a person who just trusts easily or takes things at face value. And I really liked the beginning when they're sitting there trying to figure out things about her, like, is she going to get sick? She's bitten. We don't trust it. Well, maybe we should. We need stuff. What do we do? And the kind of, I don't want to use the term bickering because they weren't really fighting, but Joel was on one side of the spectrum. Tess was on the other. And we did get to see a lot of the, the dynamic that dictates kind of, they have this history. I would almost be interested in knowing more about their past. What's happened in the past 20 years? You know, how do they meet? What kind of adventures have they had? Uh, Joel obviously has a huge chip on his shoulder because of his daughter dying and all the things he's been through since then. But the biggest one is his daughter. And he's now finding himself in a position with a young girl that, you know, it, it's it's triggering for him, right? He doesn't want to be involved in this longer than he has to, but out of desperation, he's doing it. In that instance, what ends up happening is... You know, his defense mechanism is, I don't want to trust this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to look at possibilities. I just want to do what I have to do and be done and move on. So he wants to cut her loose, you know, at the first sign of any chance of him getting out of doing this. And so Tess is on the other side, like, look, I want to get out of the shitty life that we're leading. This is an opportunity for us to do it. And so she's ready to have faith in something at face value. So seeing these two kind of do this while Ellie's sitting over there like, hey guys, I'm still here. I haven't changed. Da, 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 da. I, I really liked this section. And one of the things with this episode is that I do feel more comfortable with Bella Ramsey as, as Ellie because we got to see more of her than we did in the first. So I was I enjoyed it. I agree with both of you. So I, instead of just rehashing and like re-saying exactly what you both said, I'm just going to mention two things which are very like – uh, like annoying things that as a viewer I, I, I realized number one there she was eating a sandwich at this point and she just like sticks it in her backpack along with her like grody ass like supplies and her dirty jacket and stuff like that I'm like girl did you not get some aluminum foil some cellophane a Tupperware box I don't know something like a paper bag newspaper I don't just anything really and two it just made me think, like, she's using magazine pages, like, the some of the roughest shit ever. She's using, like, a perfume page or something, I don't know, to, to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, these people must stink. They don't even get to, like, bathe properly. I don't even think they have deodorant anymore. So, like, God, that must suck if you're living in, like, that world. Why? Why would you want to? That's terrible. So, with those hygiene moments, like, pointed out, I will continue and go on to the next scene, which is, as they walk through the city, Tess explains how most of the major cities were bombed to help stop the spread. While it worked in Boston, it didn't in most places. When they see that their path is blocked, they decide to take the long way around instead of taking the shorter, we're fucking dead path. Probably a smart choice. While they continue along... The long way, 
Ellie tells Tess that she was bit after she snuck into an old mall in the quarantine zone. She also says that she explored the abandoned, closed-off mall by herself and that she's an orphan who doesn't have any parents or boyfriends coming after her. Ellie also mentions how she's surprised that she's outside, that outside the QZ it isn't swarming with infected, and it seems like maybe the rumors about overrun cities might have been over-exaggerated. The trio make their way through the flooded hotel, and when Ellie falls down after discovering a skeleton, Joel helps her up, and for a second almost feels shaken by the remembrance of his past when helping a child wasn't such a strange occurrence. After climbing up ten floors, their path is blocked by rubble. Tess goes to investigate while Joel and Ellie are left alone for the first time. Joel reveals he's from Texas and that Tess is from Detroit. When Ellie asks Joel if Joel and Tess are a thing and how he ended up in Boston, Joel bluntly says, pass. Then Ellie asks how long the infected stay alive, and Joel says some around a month or two, but others have been walking around since the infection hit 20 years ago. Ellie asks if it's hard to kill the infected knowing there were once people, and Joel says, sometimes, followed by Ellie asking if it was hard to kill the Federal Guard when they were escaping, but this questioning stops once Tess finds her way back to the group. As they look out the balcony at the hotel, Ellie sees her first swarm of infected, many dead, but some still scrounging around. Ellie says they're connected, and Tess mentions that the fungus grows underground and connects them, so if one finds you, there's a possibility that even more nearby can find you just as easily. Even though Ellie is immune from being infected, Tess reminds her that she isn't immune from getting ripped apart. But that planned route blocked by the infected, they decide to make their way through a nearby museum instead, which might also still have infected inside. And I'm going to pause here and ask... Vinny, you really liked Anna Torv's Tess. What did you feel about her interacting with Ellie and this scene in particular? So I think this is something that really carried over from the game. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I played, and I'm actually going to replay it and try again here soon. But I, I do remember that, you know, between them, there there was kind of Tess was the softer one versus Joel, you know, when it came to Ellie in the in the time that they had together. And I really loved seeing this on the screen in the show. Um, you know, Anna Torv is a fabulous actress. She is very underrated, in my opinion. She does really well with very complex characters. And Tess, at, at first glance, doesn't appear to be a, a, a complex character, but she really is. Um, as to why she's complex, we'll talk about that by the time we finish <laughs> the podcast. No spoilers yet. Um, but playing Tess, you know, she, she's got to dive into this character that has 20 years of history with Joel and a life history beyond that. And she's got to translate this into the lines and the mannerisms and the behavior of this character in the time that we have with her. And I really liked seeing this, and I, I really enjoyed seeing her kind of transition from being on guard in the beginning to almost immediately starting to make that logic you could see the logic going on in her facial expressions in her mind as she's like okay she could be infected this could be a bum thing this might not work out but what if it's not if it's not then we have this opportunity we we get our battery we get this i get out of the qz so there was a lot of internal dialogue displayed on her face during these scenes and then as we have her starting to you know talk to ellie more she really is the first one to start treating ellie a little bit more like a human as opposed to a package and I really enjoyed the part where they're 
out on the road and they're walking and Ellie's like, oh, I thought the city was swarming with infected. And, you know, they're like, well, stories embellish and blah, 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 blah. And when they were asking her, you know, about how you got bit and how this happened and Tess was like, I think she said something like you got some big balls on you or something. It was almost like a micro bonding moment between them. So I think the, the chemistry was definitely there and I really, really enjoyed the scene. Okay, so Vinny liked the scene. Jeffrey, what did you think? I enjoyed it as well, and I was like, Joel, why are you being so persnickety? Like, because I want the answers too. So I was like, answer the girl. Like, you know, I want to know, how'd you get there from Texas? Like, what was the journey like? What happened? Yeah, what happened? Like, I need the information. Like, he shared information that we pretty much knew. And I know it's only two episodes in, but still, like, I wanted at least a sentence of, like, you know... I don't know, something mysterious, like, you know, sometimes life, you know, whatever, whatever, and or I got an opportunity, but leaving it vague, and, and so I was a little disappointed just because I want more information in the fact that he kept mum about it. But, you know, it's just the start of the road trip, so they will have plenty of time to, I guess, break that down and unpack it, maybe by a campfire, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, but I wanted more information. I liked seeing their dynamic kind of grow a little bit in their sort of like quiet moment without Tess. I also loved uh, that Tess was the one out there sort of like being a badass clearing the way. I thought that was really interesting. And I love how at least Tess in the sequence was very protective of um, Ellie. I thought that was really interesting as well. Because at the end of the day, I mean, they all have to be protective of her because she's the reason of, like, the mission. And and in this episode, we find out her exact age. And I was like, oh, okay, so she's, like, young, 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 like, young. So, okay, so it makes sense why they also want to be protective because she's young. Like, I wasn't sure what age she was supposed to be, if she was, like, an older teen, but she's... She's uh, sort of like a, in her mid-teens, and I thought that was uh, a nice little bit of information that we got as well. Uh, oh, oh, and really quick, out. sorry. And oh, uh, the creatures, the infected down at the bottom, all of that was, like, so cool and gnarly and, <laughs> and fantastic. Uh, yeah, like, that was a really awesome moment just visually because it's like, oh, shit like there's a swarm and and the way that they would turn together and and we would see that they're all connected like they're 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 like a network of uh funguses that that was really fascinating and the little light moment with ellie being a kid as kind of like a, there, a little bit of that annoyed me just because I'm like, girl, like, you should know better. Like, you shouldn't be making noise. Like, they're going to come for you. But it was like a little light moment that really chopped through all of the tension in this episode. So my hope is that we get a lot of light moments like that with Ellie where, you know, that light moment doesn't turn into danger. Because I was a little worried about that light moment where she was like, oh, hello, you know, I'm the bellhop, and where do you want your luggage taken? Like, I was a little worried that that moment was going to turn into, like, swarms and that sort of thing happening, but it didn't. So my hope is that we get light moments like that 
that don't lead to uh, danger all the time. I'm going to say, like, reiterating that I really liked the whole swarm scene. It kind of reminds me of the first episode of The Walking Dead where you see just, like, a huge mass of people coming and you're just kind of like, well, fuck, get in the tank because there's nothing you can do. And I liked, I I will say, I, I'm going to disagree with you on, like, being like, Ellie, be quiet. Like, you, you're, you're doing stupid things because we found out she's 14. 14-year-olds do have, no, like, their frontal course, cortexes aren't, like, built up. So they do really stupid decisions like that. They play around. They fuck around because they still haven't learned fuck around and find out yet. And, like, I must say, not only is she a 14-year-old, but she's proven to be a stupid 14-year-old, and she's been bit already. So, like, for doing something really dumb, like, going where she's not supposed to. So we know that her judgment isn't exactly, like, of her, like, older years, like, way, like, like an adult yet. She's still acting like a kid. So... I excuse moments like that. It makes for good television. I will also say, as a wink and a nod to people that know about um, the games, and put your earmuffs on or put like or mute it really quickly. But uh, Ellie's not telling the entire truth to Anna and to Anator. Sorry, I, I keep wanting to call her by accident to Tess. So you can. You can listen to all of this as as a viewer and be like, oh, wow, like, she's connecting to Tess. But she doesn't particularly, like, trust her yet. So that was interesting to note. With that being said, so I don't get into further spoiler territory, we'll go on ahead and say that things seem to be okay once the trio enters the museum. But then they find a freshly killed man who's been torn apart. Tess mentions that she hasn't heard anything inside as Joel and Tess get extremely quiet, revealing that they've dealt with this type of threat before. They tell Ellie that from here on out, they have to be silent, not quiet, completely silent. As they make their way through the museum, a part of the roof caves in, drawing the attention of two clickers, an infected who can't see but detects its enemies through sound. However, as the clicker walks by, Ellie makes the slightest noise, leading the clicker right to her. Joel and Tess run and shoot at the clickers while the unarmed Ellie hides. After a gunfight, Joel finds Ellie and tries to lead them to safety, but after stepping on a piece of glass, a clicker comes barreling toward them. The clicker falls on both of them, and Joel protects Ellie, shooting the clicker until it gets off of them. When they're free to get up, the clicker comes after them again, but Joel shoots him down for good. When the other clicker comes to attack them, Tess sticks an axe in its head, and then Joel shoots the creature dead as well. Once the creatures are down, the trio regroups and says they're all fine, even though Ellie has been bit yet again, and in the same spot as the old bite. After Ellie crosses over to another building, Joel and Tess have a moment together where Joel worries that maybe the second bite will take. Frustrated, Tess tells Joel that he should just take the good news and accept the positive for once. Tess stays back and Joel and Ellie look out at the city. 
Joel asks if it was everything she'd hoped for, for which she replies, Jury's still out, but man, you can't deny that view. As the state house they're heading toward looms in the distance. So, Jeffrey was already, like, impressed by the zombie horde. What did you feel about the close-up clickers? And what did you feel about this little tete-a-tete at the museum? Oh, the clickers were beautiful. Spectacular. Wonderful. Uh, whether it's practical, whether it's CGI, whether it's a mix of both, I was here for it all. This entire episode was incredibly suspenseful. Uh, just period. Like, uh, there was like a fog of suspense like, uh, enveloping me. Like, I was on the edge of my seat throughout it all, and I was here for it. Um, it felt very much, if I were to compare it to anything, and you sort of made that reference already, Priscilla, but like early The Walking Dead, in a good way. Um, I feel like that's probably the closest comparison that people are making out there, uh, you know, for at least for those of us that have not played the game before. But The Walking Dead was, you know, a major phenomenon, especially in its early seasons with like skyrocketing ratings and that sort of thing. Sounds very similar to the show, which, you know, thus far with two episodes, the ratings jumped, was it like 22% week to week? So this is turning into a bit of a phenomenon. Uh, we'll see if that holds up as the season progresses. But um, So I feel like the comparisons are uh, fair. And so the, the early seasons of The Walking Dead were filled with like this air of foreboding. And that's what I felt throughout the entire episode. I was worried for everyone. I was in particular worried for one character because I already said in the previous episode that I was, you know, you in danger, girl. But, like, the whole situation was just fantastic. Like, the echolocation, the um, shrieks, the, uh, the, the action. It was just, like, nonstop heart pounding. I was worried for everybody. I was worried for myself and I wasn't even in the damn scene. <laughs> so you liked it. Vinny, did you like it? Oh, absolutely. Atmospherically, this is one of the better scenes of people in close quarters with zombies. <laughs> I mean, I've seen this many, many, many times. And every time you're about to see it again, you're like, okay, how are they going to put a new spin on this? You know, and one of the most fascinating things for me was the whole thing about how you could step on a cordyceps tendril and wake up cordyceps zombies that are miles away and then they come descend on you. You know, so it really came into play. It wasn't just something that they told them. We saw this in action because as they went into the building, they were testing a dried out thread of the fungus to see if it was still alive or active, you know, and that put me in the mindset of I wasn't just looking at them as they were walking through the building. I was looking at all of the fungus on the walls, seeing if I could figure out where there might be a living stream that wasn't dried out. And the way that it was incorporated with the setting was just absolutely great. 
And the the buildup of the suspense, and I'm not going to rehash it because you guys already kind of summed it up very well, but it was great. Like, even though I know who survives, I know what happens in the game, there's always the chance they're going to change something. So, you know, going into this, I always have that thought that maybe this is going to be something different that's going to happen. That's going to be a surprise. And I didn't remember much from this part of the game, so I couldn't really compare it, but... I still have a vague idea of who's going where and who makes it to the end. And, you know, that being said, I still felt for these characters. It still made me feel that suspense of not knowing, is somebody going to get bit? Is somebody going to get hurt? Is there going to be some twist that's going to happen? And the visuals in this segment were absolutely wonderful. It kind of reminded me of playing the game Fallout 4, because there is a scene where you go through a, a similar museum and seeing the Boston stuff, just like you do kind of in that game, was really funny to me. Uh, it was really, really well done, and I enjoyed the entire sequence. Again, just being the parrot here, I completely agree with both of you. I loved the sequence. I thought that, like, when you play a video game, you're in on the action. So everything you're just more invested in. As a viewer, like, sometimes it's hard to get into action, like, at to me in any case, because it just feels like, okay, unless it's, like, really cool choreography or something like that, what are you bringing to the table? What is this besides just, like, punches and jabs and maybe, like, blanks being shot at at close range? Like, there's, you gotta give me more. You gotta give my eye something to feast on. And that close-up of the clicker, when it just kind of, like, turns and you see, like, a real close-up shot of, like, all that makeup, all that practical effects, because they said in the after show that it was practical effects and that they went through, at the beginning, they went through a ton. I think it was like, I think you said over a hundred different variations of the makeup and the effects to make the clickers. But in the end, they went with the tried and true, this looks like the game with the, um, col- with the like coloration and the shape and stuff like that. Like, so it was... It was really impressive to me. I I loved it. And I got to say, like, foreshadowing what happens next. When Ellie's like, Are, am I bit? And she's like, no, nah, I'm good. Luckily, I'm the only one that was a bit. I, I just turn around and look at Joel and, and, and uh, Tess, and I'm like, you bit, huh? You bit? Like, oh, God, totally Chang from the zombie the zombie episode of Community just wondering whether or not like these two have been doomed or if they have immunity or something like that like I completely forgot about all my background information was just kind of like into what was going on at the moment which just shows how transportive and well done the action sequence was uh yeah no complaints here everything was great so continuing on When they get to the building, there are no signs of fireflies anywhere, but a truck covered in blood, a body outside, and a trail of blood leaning into the state house aren't exactly promising. As they enter, they find the fireflies dead, and it looks like one of them got sick, which led to a bloodbath where everyone lost. But Tess remains determined to find answers as to where the fireflies were taking Ellie, and Joel says that it's over, that they should just go home. But Tess yells that the QZ is in her home and that she's staying, saying our luck had to run out sooner or later. Ellie replies that Tess is infected, and Tess's face gives this away. When she tries to move closer to Joel, he flinches away, 
a moment we can tell deeply hurts Tess. Then Tess shows the bite marks on her neck, which is already noticeably worse than Ellie's newer bite. Tess pleads with Joel that Ellie's immunity is in fact real. A shaky Tess says that she needs Joel to get Ellie to Bill and Frank's place and that they'll take Ellie off his hands. When Joel says no to her plan, Tess says he'll convince him and that she never asked him for anything, not even to feel the way that she felt. Tess says this is Joel's chance, that he can get her alive, get her there alive, and that he can set everything right after all that they've done. When one of the infected comes back to life, Joel just shoots it in the head, but the tendrils from the ground seep into the infected's body slowly, calling more infected from nearby and alerting them of the trio's location. Joel looks outside and sees a swarm coming, and they only have about a minute. Tess starts knocking canisters of gas open and spreading grenades on the ground, and as Joel realizes what she's doing, Tess comes over and says, Save who you can save. Joel drags Ellie as they leave Tess behind, moving forward on their path as Tess stays put. As a swarm of infected try to break in, Tess attempts to flick her lighter to catch them all ablaze. But as they run past, she can't get her lighter to light. Yet she does draw attention of one of the infected, who comes over to frighten Tess. He gets directly into her face as the tendrils coming out of his mouth enter hers, and she continues to attempt to light the lighter. With one flick, the flame finally comes on, blowing up Tess and the other infected as Joel and Ellie make it outside to safety. As Joel and Ellie move on from the burning flames, Joel is understandably upset by having lost one of the last people in the world who meant anything to him, while Ellie seems to realize that even though their journey is just beginning, in the end, it can't all be for nothing. Vinny. Did you get this far in the game? Because this is nothing like the game. So what did you think? So it's been a few years since I played last. And all that I remember of the farthest point that I've ever gotten was being in like a a tilted skyscraper and clickers. And you have to do like a stealth section to get past them. And I never could successfully get past them. But I do remember vaguely the testing in the game. And from what I remember, this definitely was different. Um, but this whole segment, this, this, this portion, like once again, props to Anna Torv. I am, I am total fan whore over here. She did an amazing job. I teared up, honestly, you know, I knew Tess's death was coming. I knew that Tess is not a character that's going to last long. However, the one thing that we didn't know was how long is the first season going to be compared to the story in the game? Because the first episode did have sort of a slower pacing. It basically just covered the prologue and the very beginning of the game. And so the second episode was really going to be my gauge to determine, like, how far forward are we going to go with each of the episodes? And so getting to Tess's death does kind of show that they are taking some liberties in a good way. And they're letting us spend more time with characters because in reality, they could have easily had Tess die in the first episode. Um, but th- this, oh, my God, what the I did not expect the, the, the suicide by bomb and you know the gasoline and just the vehemence with which, you know, she faced the end of her life just acted wonderfully and superbly. And when he slipped her the fung, as I'm calling it, as opposed to slipping her the tongue, you get it? Um, oh, I I totally squirmed like I I do not get disgusted very easily obviously there are certain things that make me go from zero to 
in a second. This was one of them because it was just so invasive and you could almost feel those tendrils going down the back of her throat in the way that her eyes were widening and her face was contorting. And she went out in a blaze of glory. Like, what a great way for this character to go. And she succeeded in what she was trying to do, which was to give them more time to escape. I thought this was a great way to end the episode with Joel and Ellie looking back at Tess's sacrifice, realizing that now the equilibrium of their group has been completely destroyed. And these two people who were only just starting to even talk civilly are now alone. And they have to face this together. And Joel... You can tell that he feels kind of trapped because Tess, you know, he didn't necessarily agree with what she was asking, but you you can tell already from this character, he is the type of person that if someone he cares about asks them to do something as her dying wish, he's going to do it. So he's kind of like mentally like, well, fuck, I'm in for the long haul now, goddammit. And he's now got to deal with, you know, Tess being gone and being in the last place he would ever want to be, which is in the company of a young girl whose life is in his hands and it could go wrong so quickly. This was a wonderful denouement to the episode, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, using fancy words must be a fancy ending. Mm. (laughs) Jeffrey, what did you think? I enjoyed it as well. I do have questions. I felt like the pacing was just a hair rushed with Ellie just immediately saying, oh, no, she's infected. Um, Because I felt like she was going to be infected, but I just felt like that was such a that was such a giant leap. That wasn't even a jump to conclusion. That was like a giant leap to a conclusion. Also. When did she get infected? Because I don't know how the infection works. I don't know how fast it works. So in my mind, like, because I knew she was going to die. Like, I don't know anything about this game, but I knew she was going to die. I said that in the previous episode as, you know, the one person that knew Zip, Zilch, about this game. I was like, okay, Tess is going to die. And so throughout this entire episode, I'm like, okay, when are you dying, Tess? Because I I feel like you're going to die. And we did have moments in the museum where the focus was on Joel and Ellie. And I was like, oh, where's Tess? And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, she's out there getting infected. And then there will be a reveal. But is that when it was? Like, is am I right in assuming that she got infected in the museum? I think so. I took it as she was infected during that time off screen when they all got separated. It was either that or in one of the moments when she was wrestling with one of them, but it was definitely off screen. We didn't see it happen. Okay. That's why that's what I assumed as well. Um so I was like, "Damn, like that's fast." Cuz it didn't even look like bite marks to me. It just looked like the infection already like massively spreading on her neck. And I was like, damn, like, that shit's fast. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, Joel, if you thought whatever about Ellie, like, you need to realize that whatever she said, something is very different with this girl. Now, everything else, like, I feel like Vinny sort of captured beautifully. Like, it was a really strong moment for Tess. Tess's sort of positivity for the future throughout the episode was interesting. It was almost like maybe prescient, you know, in regards to her demise to become sort of like this, like bastion of like, we can do it. The future can change. 
things can get better. Like all of that was was interesting because those are themes that Joel needs to really think about as he ventures, as he treks cross country with Ellie. Because if Ellie is saying the truth, and I'm gonna take it a like face value that she has told us the truth then we need this girl to go from one side of the country to the other side so that we can exterminate this situ the, the the funguses and and cure people and uh you know and that sort of thing so um so that was an incredibly powerful moment for Tess the whole situation with the kiss that was very strange to me, and apparently this has gotten mixed reactions online. I don't know where I stand. It was weird. I'm also not a squeamish person, but it was weird to look at. Um, clearly, they weren't attacking her because they could sense the fungus in her. Um... Was he trying to accelerate the process? Um, was it an initiation type of situation? Does this happen to everybody? I was very confused. Like, I, I don't know what that was. Uh, it was very intimate, and it was without her consent, is all I'm going to say. I don't know what that was. It was it was very confused by that, because a kiss is very intimate. It's not always sexual, but, but you know, it, your mind can wander in that direction. And uh, I don't see these infected as intimate or sexual beings. So I was... I was very confused by that entire moment. It was a good little way for her to have a ruse to, you know, kaboom them. But I was still very confused by that entire moment. I'm just glad she blew up those motherfuckers. So I actually... Oh, go ahead, Priscilla, sorry. Oh, no, I was just laughing. Oh, okay. So I was confused as well, Jeff, because the kiss is not something that is evident in the games it's something new that they added um and i had to actually google and find out like if it was because i didn't remember it and it wasn't it turns out um so they added that because they wanted to show what happens if someone is pliant compliant with being infected like they don't fight back like usually you see the cordyceps zombies attacking and going you know visceral on someone and those people are always fighting back so this was to show what happens if somebody just gives in and lets the virus do what it wants and what the virus wants to do is spread to a new viable host for sustenance and while she was infected it was a brand new infection. And so the the zombie that shoved the tendrils down her throat, it was, like you said, to accelerate the infection for the cordyceps to spread even faster into a viable host and kind of accelerate the initial infection she already had. Okay. I don't mind that explanation. It was still, like, the first time watching it, it was still, it's very strange. But that yes. and that does make sense. Yeah, because if you think about it, uh, you know, everyone that's been infected that we've 
well, it's not like we've seen a lot of people get infected, but um, it, it always is a violent struggle. Uh, so, okay, that does make sense. I'm going to say I can hear all of this, like, rationale, but I seriously think that they just chose it because it was so fucking squeaky to see. You were just kind of like, no, mm-hmm. no, stay away from it. Like, at, or at the very least, just like ration, like bite her. But don't, don't. Oh God, you had to French kiss her, or however, give give her the frond or whatever the hell Vinny said. Slipper the thong. I was oh, I was like darting my eyes away from the screen, but like starting them back because I was trans. I was just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? I was like transfixed by my screen. But uh, I will say for all of those who had the same problem I did with the scene, which was that uh, Tess's character goes through that annoying thing that happens in practically every like scary movie with a lighter where they're they're working really hard to light the zippo and the zippo just won't light i was like girl neil use the you use the sparks to light the gas or at the very least get one of those grenades that's on the floor and shove it in the thing's mouth and have it explode what are you doing using the stupid shitty lighter but having heard the director talk to the actress and the actress reveal that like she kind of wanted that scene to happen because she wanted it to kind of symbolize the fading humanity that she has and how like she's trying to grab onto like the sparks of what's left of it to like incite hope and and I was like well like this is very armchair therapist but I I like it like I I, I I'm I agree with the bullshit that you're spreading. This is this is interesting to me. So okay, I'll buy it. I'll I'll, I'll deal with it. And as a side side note, for any of you who actually like are never gonna like play the video games, but want to know like what was different about it that I pointed out, um, Tess doesn't die from infected from clickers or from the swarm. She dies from Fedra who originally killed off the fireflies and for some reason in the game come back to take out Joel, Tess, and Ellie and they take out one of them. And I think it was off screen where she like just kind of dies and Joel drags Ellie off too. Actually, no. I, if I'm recalling correctly, like Joel was with Ellie and it's a really weird cutscene where she's like, we should go. And they go, and then in the next cutscene, she's like, why did you have us go? I'm like, bitch, you made him go. That makes no sense. So I I like the fact that they kept the train. Like, it, it makes more sense. It brings up the clickers and the horde, which I approve of a hell of a lot more as a threat. And also, it gives... Ellie, like, a, a moment where I think, like, it kind of, like, cements the connection that she had with Tess, where she's, like, she struggles against Joel being, like, no, like, get the fuck off me, like, I want to I wanna be with her, 
and he drags her away. Like, he physically drags her away. That was chef's kiss. Like, such great acting with both of them. Like, it really did look like a struggle. Uh, so, yeah. I approve this message. I loved this scene. So, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. We don't have very much to choose from, but we have enough for three at least. So, what, like, if you if you get disappointed with what you get, you get what you get. So, Vinny, you went second last time. I'll let you go first this time. Who do you pick as your MVP? That is a hard choice with so few. But, you know, absolutely, hands down, my number one, absolutely no other choices, has to go to the skeleton in the hotel. No, I'm kidding. It's Tess. <laughs> oh, so shocking. I totally knew it was Tess. I know. I watched, like, no, I'm not predictable at all. <laughs> you know, I, and it's not even just because it's annotative. It's because this character was written well, acted beautifully, and had the most emotional impact on me thus far in this show from the two episodes that they were in. And Anatorv brought it. She did an amazing job. And, you know, one of the things about the game, even though I never beat it, even as far as I got, you always remember Tess. Anyone who has played this game and you mention Tess, they're going to know exactly who you're talking about. And she wasn't in the story that long. She has a very big impact on the story overall. And her memory is part of what drives Joel on the journey. I'm really sad that she's gone now and that we won't have her back unless there's flashbacks, which is the only way she could really return. Um but yeah, hands down, absolutely, she is my MVP number one. Jeffrey, I'm going to be nice and let you go next. Who do you choose as your MVP? I appreciate it. So based off of our little group chats, I know who your MVP is. And um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to take Fungus Man number two. Because <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned him. No, um, interestingly enough, uh, I'm actually not even, because I, I, I feel like I know who you're going to pick, but I'm not even, they were not on my radar, just because my character was just so impressive. Um, I'm giving it to Dr. Ibu Ratna. I thought she was fantastic. Uh, just from beginning to end of that, uh, I guess we'll call it the prologue to the episode that was set in 2000. And three, she was just so captivating. Like, I was along for the ride with her. And all of the emotions and the reactions she felt are the emotions and the reactions that I felt. And uh, when I did a little bit of just research on who she is, because I had never seen Christine Hakim before, I found out that she's like a huge deal in Jakarta, she's known as the Grand Dame of Indonesian cinema and Indonesia's foremost actress. And she is like multiple awards in regards to acting spanning decades. So props to them for getting someone that is so like beloved in Indonesian cinema. Uh, and, and she was fantastic. I don't think we'll ever see her again, so it's my chance to recognize her for the fantastic work that she did for what was, I don't know, maybe like nine minutes of screen time. 
I honestly hate you, Jeffrey. Dang it! That was my that was my MVP. Oh, that was your MVP. I thought you were gonna pick Ellie. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm sorry. I were last Ellie time too. Around, but I'm good. Okay, I could be a complete and total turd and pick the clickers because they really did impress me. Like the makeup was good and the body movements, the little like twitchiness. I even like the sound. Like I think they use the game sounds or something because they're they're perfect and just like scary. But I'm gonna go for a real pick and pick my second pick, which was Ellie. Which is because she again, Jeffrey mentioned this earlier, but she brings a zest of life, a freshness to the world, which could be really stagnant if you listen to like old farts like Tess who has trouble walking up ten flights of stairs and it's just kinda like You've never been in the outside world, girl. You don't know. And Joel, who just doesn't want to talk at all and is passing on everything. Like, it would be really boring if it was just the two of them. But Ellie brings a humanity to things, a youth to things, a zest to life that I like. And the fact that she can still make connections with people, even people that admittedly have said we are not good people do not trust us and still come out of this like with a smile with an ability to appreciate the view even though the world is like shit is really inspiring to me i i liked her a lot so with that being said now now it's time to rate the episode how would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than 10, you may grant it the coveted golden infected. And since Jeffrey went second, I'm making him go first. Jeffrey, how would you rate the episode? All right, it's simple. I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. It's a 10. I gave last week's episode a 10. This one gets a 10 as well. Just spectacular just to reiterate what i said earlier i it was so suspenseful from beginning to end everything about this episode had me on the edge of my seat i was worried for everybody from the good doctor at the start of the episode um, much like you priscilla when she pried open the mouth i was like oh don't do that and then throughout this episode, like, I was worried for everybody, even though, like, in the back of my mind, I know that Joel and Ellie have to at least survive for the season. So I knew that they were going to be okay, but I was still worried for their lives. And Tess, I, I mean, I knew you were dead, but um, it's fine. Uh, so I was worried for you, too, because I was like, is this where you die? It was just suspenseful. The effects were good. The sound effects were really good. Just Everything about this episode was fantastic. And I was also watching this episode, and I was like, what in this world is real and what is CGI? Not just in regards to, like, the creatures, a.k.a. the infected, but, like, the surrounding world. Because it is a beautiful post-apocalyptic hellscape. And I'm like, what is real and what isn't? I mean, clearly, you know, large skyscrapers and that sort of stuff isn't going to be real. I mean, I don't think there are leaning 
skyscrapers that look dilapidated in Alberta, Canada, which is, I believe, where they filmed this. But, you know, some of it, like, I'm, like, confused. Like, is this a soundstage? Is this out in the real world? Is this, you know, Canadian living? I don't know. And because I'm still, like, guessing or trying to guess what's real and what isn't, props to the set designers and, and everything. Like, this show is a visual feast for the eyes, and this episode did not disappoint. A 10. Okay, so we got a 10 from Jeffrey. Vinny, what'd you give it? So I thought about this in length, and I I think the score that I've settled on is a 9.5. I'm not ready for a golden just yet, and the episode was good, but I think the biggest thing that sticks with me still as kind of jarring, even though I want to clarify it was acted amazingly, it was really well written and everything i still just don't think the beginning was necessary for me my it it didn't necessarily detract from my experience but it was it was kind of jarring for me and i didn't think it was needed um everything else about the episode though um priscilla i do agree there was a little bit of pacing wonky here and there um but not enough to detract it further so i think 9.5 is is a good start point for me or, or stopping point for me as far as grading um it's heading in a really great direction. I'm excited to see where it goes. And while I do, I'm enjoying Ella or Ellie and Bella, Bella Ramsey as Ella, Ellie, I can't talk apparently more and more this episode. Um, I'm still, I'm still holding my judgment back. I want to see a little bit more. Um, I'm still enjoying it, but yeah, 9.5. I'm going to agree with one of you and it's very easy to, to see who I'm agreeing with. It's going to be Jeffrey. I'm giving it a 10. But I will say, in a nod to Vinny, he brought down my score. I was originally going to give it a golden because I was very impressed with this episode. But you're right. There was pacing issues that I was like, huh, like, can we, like, pick up the pace here? Can we, or can, or, and there were some moments where I was like, no, delve more. Give me more. Like, I want to find out more about Joel. Like, why aren't Mm -hmm. you talking? So, like little things like that like i get it's because like this is a nine episode series we still have like more room to go but like i don't particularly think that it's bad to have a 10 on the second episode i think it's really good i think that this show proves or at least this episode proves that you can direct a video game and if you're a good director, you can direct an episode and do a hell of a job at it. It made me connect with a character who, like Jeffrey, I was like, oh, you have a death now. Like, you're going to die. And took a death scene that, again, like Vinny said, people know this character. So you knew it was going to happen. And it remixed it. And it made it brand new and, like, just free, like just a fresh new take. And it didn't manage to piss off everybody. So that's, like, revolutionary to me. I think it was really good, really well done. So with that being said, with a 10 down the line, and with the episode closed, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com.
Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Cordyceps Chronicles and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, will you please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with you, Jeffrey. Have a good night, listeners. It's time to put a cap on it. <laughs> and Vinny. So, you know what happened to the clicker who slipped her the fun? He was arrested for stalking. Good night. Ah! Oh, that's good. <laughs> Great. Everybody, like, load up your Zippos. Don't, don't let the whole Sparks thing happen to you. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychilloradio.com slash archives. Good night. <laughs>